one pulled out in front of them. Rochelle hit the horn, and Nola got upset. Don't honk. Honking is rude. Who told you that? Daddy. (laughs) Which was true just a couple days before, and at the risk of losing you this early in the sermon, (laughs) I basically believe it. Like, unless you're trying to avoid an accident, honking is rude. I'm sorry. But I know that not everyone feels that way. Maybe not even everyone on the chancel feels that way. This is the chancel. Just a few weeks ago, right before worship, I witnessed an SUV speeding by in front of the building when, out of nowhere, in an empty street, it honked loudly, which startled me. And I didn't understand what was happening until the car had passed and a little squirrel hopped out from just where it had honked. When Rebecca came out a couple minutes later, I told her that story, sure that she would think it was ridiculous of him to blast your horn at a squirrel in an empty side street, but she immediately stuck up for the guy. (laughs) Don't you think he was probably honking to get the squirrel out of the way so it didn't get hit? Yes, that was definitely what he was doing, but you know what else he could have done to make sure the squirrel didn't get hit. Not hit the squirrel. (laughs) The squirrel was only ever in danger because of the car he was driving. It was totally in his power to make sure the squirrel was safe. And just so you don't think I'm unreasonable about this rule, I think it's totally fine if you ever see like a squirrel in danger from a third party. (laughs) Like if someone else is speeding down the street about to hit that squirrel, feel free to lay on your horn, or if you see like an evil squirrel sneaking up behind it with a knife. Like those are times, by all means, honk. But if you're driving down the street and a squirrel is crossing like a little too slowly for your taste, you're not a hero for trying to scare it out of your way. It's not compassionate to warn it, look out, I'm about to kill you. Just slow down or even stop. Be patient. Patience is a virtue. Love is patient. That's what the Bible says. And in the church, we have these long seasons of patient waiting that we go through before the big holidays. Advent for a month before Christmas and the 40 days of Lent that we've just come through. Long days that used to be for fasting and still maybe you give something up for them days when we try to move a little more slowly, a little more thoughtfully through our lives. Here at Bethany, as I said, for the last seven weeks, we've been reflecting on the theme, I shall be released. Even the way we phrased it there, or the way Bob Dylan phrased it, makes it something we're waiting for, something that's going to happen in the future. We, We will be released. We've been talking about the challenging work of of forgiveness and liberation, of letting go and seeking freedom slowly in time. And, And our symbol has been this chrysalis, a sign of the gradual work of transformation going on unseen, that slow churn of change that happens almost imperceptibly day by day that long arc of the moral universe that we hope 
that we trust is bending toward justice if we'll just wait for it patiently. And Easter has nothing to do with any of that. It is like an SUV tearing down a quiet neighborhood street, honking at every squirrel that dares to try to slow it down. It's not stopped for anything. The most it's willing to do is like give a courtesy beep before squashing anything left in its path. Easter is impatient. Just the timing of it, for one. I don't know if you've noticed this, but before Jesus dies, he tells the people, just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the whale, so the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. I don't know if you've ever done the math on it, but he dies Friday at 3 p.m. And then our story says that he was already gone when Joanna and the two Marys show up Sunday early dawn. Like he might have been in the heart of the earth for 36 hours. Maybe you can count three days if it's like a hotel with an extremely strict checkout policy. But three nights, not even close. And not only does Jesus jump the gun on his own timeline for resurrection, his, his impatience kind of undercuts the power of this huge moment for his followers. He's just come back from the dead, the thing that they couldn't even know to hope for. Good has triumphed over evil. Love has defeated death. The gates of hell have been crashed. The reign of God is begun. But by the time the women who have been waiting and working with him for all of that time show up, he's already gone. Like if there was ever a time to just hang out for a couple of hours, wait for the rest of the group to catch up, Like, where can he possibly need to go? Who is expecting him? Just slow down. Stop. Be patient. But Jesus tears off his shroud, busts through the stone that seals the tomb, and takes off for Galilee, all before the sun is up. He leaves the angels to hang back and explain it all. He lays on the gas and puts a hand over the steering wheel, In her poem about resurrection, the poet Jackie Wang captures this energy. She writes, instead of opening doors and walking through them, I smash windows and glass walls. Everything is always locked, so it has to be this way. I carry a giant ax around with me, but I'm not malicious. I simply am impatient. I kind of love the idea of Easter Jesus as an ax-wielding trespasser. It fits. When he finally does meet up with the disciples, it's by busting into a locked room where they're holed up, afraid. But the destruction starts way before that. At the moment of his death, the temple curtain ripped in two. Actually, in Luke's version, he gets impatient and he moves it up a paragraph from Matthew and Mark. It it gets torn even before Jesus dies. Easter Jesus is a lock smasher, a wall crasher, an obstacle crusher. That temple curtain was the symbol of the separation between God and the people. And Jesus shreds it. That stone and shroud were the representation of the powers of death and empire, and he discards them. Those locked rooms were the marks of fear and despair, and he breaks into them. He bursts the bubble of Thomas's doubt 
He tears down the walls of Peter's shame. He's known to the people at Emmaus in the breaking of bread. Easter Jesus is bent on destruction. The destruction of every barrier he finds between God and humanity, from person to person, and, and even within ourselves. He tears all of those walls down. He releases people. He sets them free. And he does it as fast as he can. Not a moment to lose. Let the rest catch up. Easter Jesus, the resurrected Christ, teaches us that impatience is a virtue. In the face of fear, in the face of division, in the face of shame, loneliness, captivity, injustice, grief, pain, there is no time to waste. There is no reason to stop or even to slow down. Let the powers of evil beware if they stand in the way. Jesus refuses to pump the brakes. There is too much to do, too many to set free to be patient. Because patience at its Latin root means suffering. And for too long, the church has taught that suffering is a virtue. But Easter, Jesus demands our allegiance to impatience, to not suffering. Not the ordinary impatience that says, I have to kill a tiny animal if I can't go as fast as I want to down Polina at, at 10.15 on a Sunday morning. But the holy impatience, which looks to relieve the suffering of others as fast as it can, Following the Easter Jesus means releasing people from suffering wherever and whenever it is in our power, knocking down every wall that holds someone captive, tearing up every curtain that divides us, rushing toward reconciliation, speeding toward liberation, doing whatever we are able to to set people free from pain and oppression without waiting just barging into every prison cell, busting through every glass ceiling, taking an ax to every wall we've put up around our hearts. It means becoming one of the people whom Jackie Wang writes about at the end of her poem. She says, this mode of entering buildings goes viral. Now there are many of us who carry axes and never wait to be let in. Following the Easter Jesus means unlearning the patience that the church has taught, at least for me. Learning to honk, learning to push, learning to insist on justice and liberation faster than the world would have it. Rolling away the stones of death and not waiting for people to discover it. Starting before anyone expects us to have risen, before the early dawn, only 36 hours into our three-day wait, and calling that good enough, long enough. Like this sermon, long enough. You can't preach a long sermon about impatience. And I realized this week that while we ministers fret over our Easter sermons, there is no day when you are less likely to be listening. Everyone is ready to get on to the, to the food and the drink, to the beautiful music, and of course, to the eggs, the Easter sermon is just the obstacle in the road. 
I had it confirmed for me recently. I was trying to explain Easter to Nola, and she interrupted, no, Easter is not about God and Jesus and everything. It's about finding eggs and opening them and eating the chocolate. And I think she's like half right. I do think that Easter is about God and Jesus and everything. But it's also good practice to stop standing around and talking and take off as fast as you can to break things open so that everyone can get to the good stuff.